God's people need a change of position, a change of association, affiliation. Sometimes I think we forget that our affiliations, our associations, the position where you put ourselves in matter. We're, I'll remind you that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. He didn't intend for us to be taken out of the marketplace and wrapped in bubble wrap and not around anybody. Not to, I mean, it's hard to be light. It's hard to be light in the darkness if you're not in it. You know, he said if he gave you light, he said you wouldn't put it under, under a basket, under a bushel. You would put it on the lampstand, I mean, to be seen. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. There's something on my mind before I read my text in Ephesians. As I read Psalm 1, let me help you with something. Sometimes your affiliations is not necessarily who you go to dinner with. Sometimes it's what you put yourself in front of for hours with a clicker in your hand. Or with your smart device who you follow on social media. They call them influencers for a reason. Because they influence. The world's changed at warp speed in the last 10 years for a reason. There's been dramatic shifts in social culture and religious belief for a reason because there's, there's things that's come that we never had before that connected the whole world together and put us in affiliation. There are, there are people in this room that you have affiliations that if you had to do it in person, you would never be seen. Did you hear me? We need the rain. I need the rain. But there's things that will never change no matter how the society changes how the delivery system changes. You know what that is? There was, there was a time when you had to talk to someone. You had to be there in person. Hello? Or to even get the information, it might be days or weeks. There, there were times even when print media came along that, that it might be weeks before you got the news from one place to the other because it had to be printed somewhere and taken there. And then we came along and we, they, they, you know, then they got telegraph and then telephone and then tell our Aunt Ralph because she talked to everybody. Yes, I had an aunt named Ralph and she talked to everybody. She knew everything in northern Logan County and if what she didn't know, she made up. Yeah? But then there came... I mean, communicate. I'm talking about how we hang out together, how we, how we, how affiliations happen. And then you know, then we started getting out in the country. We had party lines, and if you lifted up, you could listen to everything Ralph and Miss Butler had to say about everybody else, because at least 20 of you were on the same line. I, I, I think it should have been by percentage how those bills were paid, because they took up more of my time and our time than 
than I feel like we paid for. But then you got your private line, yeah? And then, then I got that first cell phone that looked like you could call in air support. You know, and, and a bag looked like I was calling an airstrike. Yeah? And then we got that fancy razor. And, and, we, and remember when we used to text like this? Three taps, four taps. And I think, why do people text each other? Just call. Then they got a Blackberry, and I thought, oh, I can do this. Because it now has keyboard. I'm not going one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two. I, mean, I thought Morse code went out years ago. Yeah? I'm, then everybody got the world in their pocket. And you can run the world from your pocket. And I'm telling you, we're hanging out with people that we wouldn't be seen standing beside. I may not get to Ephesians. I'm going to try. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. The psalmist is not talking about the law of Moses and all the programs. He's talking about the Word of God. He's, he's talking about that, you, that, that God's people, righteous people, blessed people, don't hang out and sit in and get counsel from the ungodly and the sinner. Church, if we're going to have the power of God, we've got to change our affiliations. Because you really don't get your cake and eat it too. Well, actually, to get the cake, you got to hang with him. God, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. One of the... <laughs> I tell some things sometimes that sheds light that might not need to be shed, but I don't know. Maybe it does need to be shed. One of the greatest disappointments I ever had was when I, when I was first called in the ministry and I, and I was looking to people and mentors and I would get to hang out with the preachers because I love this book. Anybody that knows me very well at all knows that I can, that I can and will preach at the drop of a hat. I'll bring the hat and I'll drop the hat. That you bring me anything about the Word of God and I'll talk about it. Day and night, I'm interested. And I, and I be, began to get put in situations where I was going with the ministers and the preachers. And much to my chagrin, they, couldn't, they didn't talk about the Word of God or the things of God. I was blown away. Because my delight was in the law of the Lord and in, his, and in it I dwelled and meditated day and night. You give me something to ponder. Calvin asked me a question Wednesday night at the end of service and I have pondered it and thought on it and looked at it and, and, and looked at versions, looked at, 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 at commentaries, I've looked at word studies. You ask me something about the Word of God and I am interested Your affiliations and where your heart is in the Word of God absolutely matters. 
We need revival. We need the rain. We got to, we got to look at w- what we're hanging out in and with. Because I can tell you, you can set an ungodly council just by reading their article. Just by watching their show. Just by taking their advice. And by the way, if you think, yeah, we have a definite generation, and, we're, and, and when I talk about generation, sometimes I'm talking about the punks on the front row, and sometimes we're talking about everybody that is alive today is this generation. Listen, we have a generation that's taking advice from everywhere. I mean, good night. It started with things like eating Tide Pods. It was funny and, and kind of until people died. All kinds of challenges always go, people, going on all over the place and people die. And it's, not, it's because of who they hang out with and who, they, who their affiliations are. Who they, they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. They're, they're getting their counsel from the ungodly. Believe me. Who you, what you ingest by the eye gate, the ear gate, what you read, it, it's not just who you go to coffee with or have dinner with. Or go, I don't even know if people hang out anymore. I, I, I've been in the same room where, where everybody in the room was, was having a discussion, but nobody has spoke a word. Now, I got to say, sometimes with Heather and I and our kids are home, we do that and it drives them crazy. We'll talk to each other across the room via text message. But that's not because we don't know how to talk. That's because we don't want them to know what we're talking about. Yeah. But believe me. Well, do you want to know why, the, the, why polling on this matter and that matter has shifted by 10, 20, 30, 40 points uh, and when it was the same for generations? When it would may, maybe it's on marriage. Maybe it's on sexuality. May, it could be a lot of things, but you want to know why? It stayed one way forever and in a matter of a few years dramatically shifted. It's because there came a way for people to hang out together that would have never hung out together. There's people hanging out with your kids that, that you would run them off with a shotgun if you knew who they was. They would never set foot on your property, but they're coming into your kid's bedroom. And I begged you and begged you, but you don't listen. But it's happening. We got to change who we hang out with. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. He is talking about the righteous man. He is like a tree that's planted by the waters of life that brings forth its fruit in due season, whose leaf will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. It's talking about the believer. It's talking about you can't do it all like everybody else and expect to stand in the storm. He shall be, he shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. That's when nobody else is getting any rain. He's getting water. When everybody else is drying up, 
That tree that's by the water still produces. I've been to Zambia in the end of the dry season. It's the time to go. Where's a bunch of us going to do that this year? I've been to Zambia at the end of the dry season where everything is barren. I mean, you could tell uh, every leaf is stripped. You got animals everywhere, big game everywhere. I don't know how they survive. They're pulling at roots and they're pulling. There's nothing. But when we got down in the river valley, everything, I'm talking about dust like you've never seen. I'm talking about stripped bare drought like you've never seen. That you can, you can see an elephant three miles away because every leaf has been eaten. But when you get down by the river, that's why you can go see them. And it's, it's the best time of year to go see all of those things because we know when we go down by the river, they're going to be there. Why? Because down by the river, the trees are still green. And they still produce. And the grass still grows. Why? Because it's near the source of the water, even in the driest part of the year. Now, you can tell how high the elephant's trunks will reach because everything from below what their, what their trunks will reach is stripped because they're at the last. What I'm trying to tell you is that you're not going to thrive through the dry season if we're hanging out with the wrong people reading the wrong things, watching the wrong things, being influenced by the wrong things, never in the Word of God. It's never become our delight. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing for it to become your delight and your meditation. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of life. He will bring forth his fruit in its season. By the way, I believe that the Christian, the believer, the follower, one of the, the mark of the follower is that he bears fruit. In the worst conditions, we, we're in a bad condition, but there's been bad conditions before. And I'm going to tell you when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ really traditionally and, and historically, it's been in the bad times that the great moves of God have came. It's been in the dry times. It's been in the times when, when everything was against the church, not when it was prosperous. It's been, it's been when people returned to, to the Word of God and made it some meditation. It's when they changed their heart and started looking to Him instead of looking to everything around them that something began to happen and that they began to get plugged into the source of the river of life. And when the, to, when the, when the, when the dry persecutions and hard times came they were not destitute they were prosperous they were I'm not talking about they made lots of money I'm talking about you couldn't hold them back I'm talking about that they began to win souls I'm talking about that the spirit of God began to move through them because they had put their affections and they set their eyes on the things of God and in his word and when they began to set their word on they were like they were like they were in the waters of life and they began to produce the fruit who you hang out with, what you meditate on, what you read, what you put into you, it matters. You're, you're not, 
And it would be like today, it was, it's going to be like, like eating Twinkies and Ding Dongs and Krispy Kreme donuts and expecting to, to win Mr. Olympus. You might be Mr. Olympic-sized swimming pool because that's what it's going to take for you to swim. But you're not going to, you're not going to, because what goes in matters. Who's planted by the rivers, by the rivers, that brings forth its fruit in its season. It says, whose leaf shall not wither. Let me just tell you that when you're in a dry spell, first thing to happen is your leaves wither. Not the last thing, the first thing. The first thing. The tree will go dormant. I've been, I've, hey, I've lived in drought and, and heat in Arkansas all my life. Uh, about August 1st when it's been dry for way too long and hot for way too long that all the oak trees, all the hardwood will start going brown like it's fall and their leaves will fall off. People say, oh, my trees are dying. No, they're not. Their trees are trying to live. They shed their leaves wither and they shed their leaves so they can, so they can put the, the, the water that's available into staying alive. But he, it's the first thing. He's, he says when you, when you are in his word and when your affiliations, when you don't hang out in the counsel of the ungodly, he says that you will be not only like you're by the rivers of water, and that not only will you be by the water, not only will you bear fruit, he said your leaf will not even wither. And I can, let me say it a different way, because that's the indication of heat stress. I mean, let me help you with a different It'll be, you're not even going to be stressed about it. Hello? I can tell you for your life and my life that stress and anxiety is the marker of prayerlessness and faithlessness. I'm going to tell you universally. Universally. If you are anxious, if you are stressed, we have the most stressed out, the most anxious society that's ever been recorded in human history. And it's because we have become faithless, we have become wordless, we, have been, we are malnourished. It is the symptom of, not, of faithlessness. Hey, if you're living for God, I'm talk, talk, there's somebody right now that you're getting mad at me because you are a worry wart. And I'm going to tell you, if you are a worry wart, repentance is in order. Because the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, with supplication, let your requests be known to God. And when you do, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will, will, will guard your heart and your mind. Jesus said, told you, he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because today is enough for today. It's sufficient unto itself. He talks, he said, consider the lilies. They don't plant, they don't, they don't toil, they don't spin. But Solomon in all of his glory was never arrayed more than these. He said, look at the birds of the air. He said, they don't worry about where their food's going to come from. They just eat. He said, are you not much more valuable than these? Amen. I'm telling you that when your leaf begins to wither, it's the sign of stress. 
And it's the sign that you've gotten away from the source. It's the sign that you need to get back in, change what you're reading, change what you're taking in, change who you're hanging out with, change and change your meditations because anxiety and stress and worry, worry is literally putting your, putting your thoughts, your meditations into what might happen and might never happen. Think if you were worried about it and you listen to me, if you're worried about it and you could fix it, fix it. If you're worried about it and you can't fix it, what in the world are you worried about? By worrying about it, have you added one cubit to your stature? Oh, it's, it's better. Here's the thing about the Word of God. It's true whether you like it or whether you don't. I was raised in a culture, a southern culture, where worry is synonymous with concern. I've had people get mad at me in terrible situations because I, I can sleep. Because I didn't worry about it. They say, what's wrong with you? Are you heartless? No, I'm not heartless. I am concerned and I'm going to take it to God. Sister Tennyson's told me many times, it's written on my desk, it's, it's going to stay there forever. They, they would have, you know, the things that they went through, and the, and, and, but when there would be things brought to Brother Tennyson and they didn't know what to do, they said, what are you going to do, Brother T? Sister Tennyson would say, what are you going to do, Don? He said, well, right now I'm going to go to bed. Right now I'm going to go to bed because I'm tired. He said, and when I get up, I am going to take it to the Lord. I am going to pray. I'm going to pray before I go to bed. I'm going to pray when I get up. And I, he said, this is the quote, I'm going to pray and God will have an answer. What a thought. Planted by the rivers of water means you have a constant source of refreshing, a constant source of nourishment, a constant source, so much so that your leaf don't even wither. You don't have, when you, when you get in the rivers of life and, the, and in, meditate in the Word of God, those anxieties and those stresses have to go away because He is the answer. He's not doing it as quick as I would like him to. So what? He, did it ever occur to you that he might be stretching you? Did it ever occur to you that your trial was for your good? The ungodly are not so. He should be like, the righteous should be like a tree planted by the water, rivers of water, that brings forth fruit in due season, whose wheat leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. 
but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Let me read it again. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Let me tell you, if you're finding your counsel in the ungodly, you're getting dried up, useless, nothing. He says that the righteous who, who don't counsel with the ungodly, they're, and, they, and, they're, and they make the law their meditation, that they're like a, someone that is planted by the rivers of life who brings forth fruit, who their leaf does not wither. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff. The chaff is what's left from the fruit of the wheat. That it's dried and separates. It's useless. And just a breeze will blow it from here. You're, you are like a tree planted. Let the wind come. Let the wind blow. Let it get a little dry. You're planted by the river. Oh, you, I don't think you're hearing me. When you change what you hang out with, you're not taking the counsel of the ungodly. When you make your delight in the law of the Lord and in it you meditate day and night. See, when, when you're righteous, you are planted firmly in the place that causes you to be prosperous and to produce fruit and to get what's right out of your life. Whenever you're ungodly, it says the ungodly are not so. They're like chaff that is so light and so useless and so barren that just a puff of wind can blow it away. God never intended for his people to be blown about by the wind and the storms of life. In fact, in John chapter 3, after he tells about how God so loved the world and all these things, then Jesus goes into talking about that his fan is in his hand. That his winnowing fan is what he's talking about. And he says that he, the wheat is his, and it says that he will separate the wheat from the chaff. People think that's the sinner from the ungodly. No, that's the junk in your life that you don't need. It is that he will put you on the threshing floor and put you through some stuff. Some of you rebuking what God's put you in. Every little test, every little situation, you go, you go to binding and rebuking and God's saying, What? What? He's saying about how about stand on what's true. If your life's clean and you know it, and you're living in repentance and you know it, and you have a prayer life and you know it, and, you have, and you're full of the Word and you know it, and your delight is in the Word and you know it, when it comes along, it could be an attack of the enemy, maybe. But you know what else it could be? It could be the test of life and God separate because the winnowing process is necessary to get the good fruit and to get the good wheat. And it's, and it's, and it's necessary because you don't want to garner, put away a bunch of junk. You don't want to store up. You don't want to take room in your barn and in your weights and in your measures for a bunch of chaff. It could be 
that you're getting separated a little to get junk out of you that you no longer need. In fact, that's going to happen. It should happen. It's supposed to happen. Whom God loves, he chastens. He talked about that, the, that we're to bear fruit, and the ones that bear fruit, he says that he prunes it himself. Pruning's no fun. I don't like, but see, when you prune, you're getting rid of the sucker, sucker. Southern people know about suckers, don't they? I'll explain to you. Y'all ever, ever raised tomatoes? Get them all staked up and caged up and all that stuff. Got them going good. And every once in a while, you got to go out there and pinch the suckers off. You know, that'll come, that'll be the, the, two, the main branches of the, of the plant, of the vine, that's, that's holding up the thing and it's producing the fruit, they'll come one, they go, Shroof! it grows fast, it leaps up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But you know what? It don't produce anything. You know what it does? It sucks that water out of that plant. It sucks that fertilizer out of that plant. It, put, it starts putting all of its effort into itself. The plant will begin to start putting all of its effort and strength into the plant and not the fruit. And you go out there and you break that sucker out from between them two branches and eliminate it. God talked about when you bear fruit. He said, those that bear fruit, he said, I'm going to come in and prune. You know what he's doing? He's getting the suckers out of your life. He's getting the things out of your life that is pulling from you, that is pulling the strength from you, that is pulling the nutrients from you, that's pulling the blessings of God from you, that's pulling, that's pulling your strength from you, the things that are distracting you, the things that are keeping you from bearing fruit. And you know what? It's no fun because sometimes I like my suckers. And you do too. Sometimes you like your little, your little guilty pleasures. Oh... But you know what? You know why he does it? Because he knows when you begin to put all your strength into you, eventually you'll not bear fruit that you're going to just produce you. And when you begin to produce you, you can become useless for him. And you're going to get overgrown and useless. Do you know that something that can produce good, your fruit trees, you prune them. Why? Because they can get overgrown and useless. You know what? I've seen them get so overgrown, and man, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. I mean, they bear fruit. I'm talking about over my grandparents, their fruit tree. I mean, they bear fruit. You know why? Because I hauled water by the, like a, like a stinking yak. <laughs> Watering them stupid things from a cistern. Had a, had a yoke. I'm talking about having one of the things over you, gallon, five gallons on each side. I'm talking about hauling water like a, like, a, like a water buffalo. But them thinking things produce fruit. And you know what? That sometimes he wouldn't prune them because, you know, he's trying to get all that. You better, I'm, I'm going somewhere. Because you know what would happen then? That sure enough, next year, them do, they'd be bigger. And they would bloom. And if that frost didn't get them or something, they would produce. And they would begin, they'd be loaded down with stuff. He's like, wow. And then an early spring thunderstorm would come and hit that loaded down tree and rip that thing stem from stern. Either rip every bit of fruit off of it or just pull the tree apart. Yeah, that's what happens when God doesn't prune you. 
Are you with me? They're unrighteous, not show. They're just like chaff. Y'all are thanking God about right now. I'm not going to Ephesians. They're ungodly, not so. They're like chaff. The wind drives away. He was never, God's not really into that. He told us to be grounded in the word. When you're grounded in the word, that you won't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. No sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows, listen, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Hmm. Yes. I am going to go to Ephesians, but not like I was. We didn't, God hasn't called us to this time to sit down and shut up. Come on, somebody. The world, as much as the world would love for you, they, they want us to shut up, I promise you. They want us to shut up. They do everything they can to shut us up. I ain't shutting up. He called us to stand. Hello? Oh, even among church people, I know. I mean, sometimes I, I myself, I said, oh, these people hate me today. Well, so you keep coming back. So most of you, if you hated me, you got over it. And then some more come, and that's okay. But I, I'm telling you, let me tell you something. God's going to build his church. God's going to build his church, and it's going to be built on truth. It's going to be built on what's right. It's going to be built on those that make their delight in the ways of the Lord and that they meditate on his word day and night. It's going to be the ones that are planted. It's going to be the ones that can't be blown around. It's going to be the ones that are producing fruit. He's going to, he did not call us to be quiet. He called us to stand. To stand. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. That's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we, not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spirit, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The who? I believe we're in the evil day. Do you? Do you believe that we're in the evil day? I've never seen, have you ever seen anything like it? We're surrounded by evil. We're supposed to stand. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, that means you, that you may have the power, to be able means to have the power, that you may have the power to withstand the evil day. And having done all of what we just read, Stand. We're supposed to stand. Verse 14, stand. Therefore, having your waist girt about with truth. 
Just talked about truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's the things he's going to throw at you. That's the things he's going to throw at you, the temptations that are going to come, the trials that he's going to shoot your way, the attacks that are going to come. Above all, having the shield of faith that, to quench those things. It's better, that the shield inter, inter, it's better that your shield intercept that junk than it ever to reach your armor. If I was a soldier, I'd rather have my shield. If I was a Roman soldier, I'd rather my shield catch it than my breastplate catch it. I'm thankful for my breastplate. Hello? I'm thankful for my breastplate, but I'd much rather it be intercepted by that shield that's out in front of me than that breastplate that's up against my chest. Hello? <laughs> Above all, having the shield of faith, which, is able, which, which are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why you need to love it, eat it, breathe it, meditate on it day and night. Coming to church on Sunday and finding your Bible before you walk out the door, I believe me, that's not meditating on it what day and night. Think about it. Process it. Dig in it. Ponder what could that mean. Lord, help me. Open this up. You'll be fascinated by what you find. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's your weaponry and your offensive weapon. That I got to reading something earlier, and now I'm just going to drop it on you. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. Oh, we always stop at that sword of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Stop. No, he says, praying. Always, with all prayers and supplication. Supplication is a humble, really begging. See, to, be a, to beg, you're going to have to humble yourself. I'm talking about put yourself in a position of, please, God. Please, God. Please, God. It says, for all the saints... Please, God, help that family. Please, God, help that family. Please, God, help me. Please, God, give me the answer. Please, God. That, to, to, to be in supplication means to admit that you don't know, that there's nothing you can do about it. That it is to admit that if he don't work, it's not going to happen. It's not to worry. It's to take it to God. Take it to God. Take it to God. Take it. It's what I told you earlier. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, and thanksgiving and supplication with thanks, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And then, prayer is not a weapon in your armor. Somebody go ahead and pass out. Prayer 
is the fight. Oh, that went. You're armored up and you're standing. You've got that helmet, you've got your, that shield of faith out there to keep it from getting at you. You've got a helmet of salvation on you to guard your mind. That's a renewing of your mind. You've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what you're going to fight with, like Jesus did. You know, it is written. 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 You know why? Because it is written is always true. It is written is always true. It is written is always right. The Word of God is always, the, the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing asunder of the joints and the marrow of the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you fight with the word, that's your weapons. It says now pray about everything. Make supplication. It is a literal humbling, a literal begging. It is a literal it, 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 it is the fight. Not Listen to me. Not to pray is not to engage. Not to pray is to be a showboat. Not to pray is to be a poser. Not to pray is to be the Pharisee that went out on the corner and made the petitions and the open to God to thinking about everything, showing everybody that you had every, all the trappings of religion, that you had all the trappings of, of a child of God, you had all the trappings, but none of the power, armor that has never been in battle. A, a shield that's never been hit. There's one surefire way to know they wasn't much of a soldier is when they come out of the battle in shiny armor. Not to pray is to not engage. Prayer is, prayer is certainly uh, useful. Prayer is, is, is the order of the day. But prayer is where the battle is fought and won. You don't believe me. Go through the book of Acts. Go through the book of Acts. Read it over and over. When they were in every situation, it said the church prayed. It didn't say they band together and they had a potluck. And after the potluck, they had a Bible study. It says the church prayed. When, when Peter was chained between two guards in the middle of a prison behind two locked doors, the church prayed. And you know what? He walked it, he knocked on the door and they couldn't believe it was him. And when they, I love it, it says, when they prayed, the place was shaken. The prayer is the battle. Let me say it a different way, mama, grandmama, grandpa, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk to some of you that are called to, that are called to be intercessors. Not to pray is to lose. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, and be friendly. We're done. No. That's the end of the story. Because not to pray is to lose. Not to pray is to lose. I like your breastplate of righteousness. It's cool. That I like that you got your loins guarded about with truth. That's awesome. I love that you got your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Good. You're dressed for the battle. Now fight. Yeah. 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 Amen. Now, now go ahead and fight. 
Every victory you're ever going to win is going to be won through the fight of prayer. What do you think he said? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and, th- and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. What do you think he said it? I'm going to read it real quick, then we're going you know to do We're going to fight. Church people know how to fight. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to fight the good fight. <laughs> There's one thing church folks know how to do. It's eat and fight. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Luke 18. Luke 18. Verse 1. He, Jesus, then he spake this parable to them. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Oh, hold, then why did he speak this parable to them? And then he spoke this parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Why did he speak this parable to him? Because Jesus was a good storyteller, that's why. No, that ain't why he spoke this parable to him. Why? So that they would pray and not lose heart. Look around this world right now. Look at your situation. Look at your family. Look at your mess. When you look at it long enough, you can lose heart. Can you lose heart when you look at it long enough? Can you lose heart when you look at it long enough? I can lose heart. When I, if I'm not going to do anything about it, I can lose heart. Hello? Hey, Jesus spoke this parable to them that men always, how often? Always. And by the way, ladies, I'll remind you that the, king, that, that the Bible wasn't written. Uh, it's not a misogynistic book where you're not included. Well, we used to know in literature that when it's talked about men and he and all those things, that he was talking about mankind. That you included in the, you're included in the human race, okay? Hello? Isn't it dumb that you have to explain that anymore? Then he spoke to them in parable that men, mankind, always, how often? Always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And then, I think he's on the Supreme Court. And there, and there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. She'd been done wrong. And he would not, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. This is talking about, this is people that don't even want to do for you. They don't like you. They don't like who you are. They don't like what you stand for. They ain't going to do you no favors. They said, Mama ain't going to be able to call in the favor. Hello? I'm from a place where I know enough people. And then when I see when I moved down here, that all changed. When I'm from a place I knew enough people, if I needed something done, I can get it done. You know what I mean? I knew who to call and I knew which string to pull and I knew who owed me what. And I could get things done when they didn't even want to do it because I didn't want to do it for them either, but I did. Hello? I'm talking about when all that junk runs out, they don't even want to do nothing for you. They don't like you, they're not going to. You live in a hostile environment where they're not interested in your little God stuff. 
You got kids that are not interested in your little God stuff. You got grandkids that are not interested in your little God stuff. I know people right now, preachers, that their kids won't even come see them unless they say, don't you talk to me about God. Well, okay, I ain't going to talk to you about God. I'm just going to pray until you can't sleep. I'm going to pray you miserable, boy. I'm going to keep asking. Why? Because you weary me. I'm, this is good preaching. Just, he said, in verse 4, he said, He would not for a while, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. He said, I don't care. That means I don't care about God or anybody else. He said, I don't fear God. I don't regard man. I'm me. I'm in charge. I don't care what you want. That's what it means. Though He said, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest she continually come to worry me. You know, in the South, he'd say, you're wearing me to death, woman. You're wearing me out. You're, you're about to rub a blister on me. Y'all must not talk like that. I did. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And God shall not avenge his, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night. Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Huh. He said, if an unjust judge will will give somebody what they want that doesn't care about God or them. He says, your God will hear you. Will God not, God not much more hear you, though it bears long? Will he not avenge you speedily? Those who ask him day and night. How do you ask him? You pray. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith in him? What a question to put right there. I think, he, are you going to worry or are you going to believe? I think he might have known. It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think he might have known it might be a tough situation, a tough era, a tough time whenever you get to the time when it's time for the Son of Man to come back. I don't think he put that there for no reason. One more thing. And he also spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves. He also spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves. He also spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves. Can I say that one more time? He also, Jesus, is the he also spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves. Well... <laughs> who trusted in themselves for, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. One was a preacher, one worked for the IRS. That's the JRV. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, I never noticed that. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, 
or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. I told you it was a humble asking. But he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down, that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, I've spent a lot of time tonight laying out and telling you that it matters what you meditate on, who you hang out with, whether in person, in print, on the screen, on your cell phone, they're still your influences. I'm telling you that you got to love the Word. And I'm telling you that we're, we were put here to stand, not to sit. We were stand here to shout it from the rooftops, not to be quiet about it. We're stand here to stand, and the only way you can stand is to have on the armor, and then the only way you can win is to fight. I'm telling you, prayer, prayer is what happens when you engage with the armor and with your offensive weapon, the Word of God. And then you pray in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit knows how to pray when I don't. He knows the will of God. He knows the way of God. He says, he says sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit helps us. Prayer with, 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 with groanings and utterances that maybe you don't even understand. But the Spirit knows how to pray. And, to pray, and to not to pray is to lose. Not to pray is to lose. You're not going to stand. Because the reason you're not going to stand is because you got clobbered. Because you didn't pray. You didn't fight. I wish I could make it click. I wish I could cause you to understand that prayer is the fight. Prayer is the fight. You want to know why you run out of time to pray? You know why it's most talked about and least done? Because it's hard. Because it's a fight. Because you get beat up and bruised and battered. There's nothing easy about praying in a way that changes the situation. It's why we pray on Sunday nights. It's why we pray at 5 o'clock. It's why I've continued. I'm telling you, this is the prayer is the battle. It's revelation for me tonight. I'm talking about it was a light that comes on. I intend to win. 